this week on The Futurists. I want a future where everybody has a doctor in their house and all the data of their biometric is coming to that. And if they need a real doctor, they can call one in, but it learns enough skill so that it all becomes about preventative medicine. So we all live longer and healthier. I want I, I want to be able to uh, decide I'm going to help some kids in Africa and then tomorrow help some kids in Harlem and then go see my mom uh, and make her uh, some tea. That's that, that's the world I want. So that's the world I'm creating. And I challenge everybody to think that it, it needs to be more than making money. Welcome to The Futurists, where we're talking to the people who envision and invent the future. I'm Rob Tersik. And I'm Brett King. And today we have joining us uh, all the way from the future, Dr. Harry Kluwer, an American scientist, film producer, director, writer, and entrepreneur. He was the first person to be awarded two PhDs simultaneously in two distinct academic disciplines. He's also involved in a lot of future stuff. He was one of the five founding members of the X Prize uh, Foundation. And uh, we're here today in part to talk about his work with Beyond imagination, his robotic AI uh, company uh, that he formed uh, with um, some leading thinkers from around the world, including Ray Kurzweil, Peter Diamandis, uh, Tony Robbins, and others. So Dr. Harry Kluwer, welcome to The Futurists. I'm in the future. (laughs) (laughs) It's a pleasure pleasure to be here. Well, just wait a minute and you will be, right? But uh, (laughs) You've done done so many things. I've wondered, uh, how do you introduce yourself when you're um, when you meet people for the first time? Do you tell me you're a scientist, a writer, an inventor, an entrepreneur? Uh, I'm a thinker and a creator. Uh, and everything I do uh, focuses around creation and uh, whether it's creating a new and better future or creating a fantastic story. Uh, like Leonardo da Vinci, and that's really what I've modeled my life after since I was actually a, a, a child. Uh, is I don't uh, see a distinction um, in terms of creation. And, and uh, you've been inspired since you were a child by uh, not just by science, but also by stories. Uh, and I know you've got a giant collection of comic books and, and science fiction stories as well, which is becoming kind of a through line for us on the show. Uh, science fiction tends to inform yeah, yeah. and excite people about the future. Yeah. In fact, uh, hey, Kevin Anderson. <laughs> Kevin and I have been friends since around 1995. Uh, I have spent my whole life uh, immersed in both science fiction and science. In fact, uh, people would say science fiction is in my blood. My mom wrote uh, a book called My Beloved Triosians, uh, Mary uh, Conway Clore, um, while she was carrying me. So I grew up wow. on a steady diet of comic books. Uh, even at the age of four, I started getting my first comics. I had an older brother, two older brothers and a younger brother, and the old brothers uh, introduced me to comics. Um, so I have been in that world for a very long time. And I think that's where my creativity and, and the fact that I believe that, uh, nothing is impossible. Um, some things are improbable, but, uh, it, if it's impossible, it's probably impossible for you, but not for me. 
I love it. I, I love um, you know your your new company uh, Beyond Imagination. Well, it's not quite new, but um, the you know I love the fact that it's got imagination in that because the storytelling piece of that, um, you know, there is a lesson from the Star Treks of the world and and so forth. Where if you can imagine it and you can portray it in science fiction, then you know humanity is at some point going to try and create it, right? Yes, exactly. In fact, Beyond Imagination, um, the the whole reason for that that title is while we are starting off with creating um, general purpose humanoid robots, which uh, will evolve from being a, a pilot avatar mode to fully autonomous, uh, the company will be going into a variety of, of areas that I think will be beyond most people's imagination. Here's the question, and Robert, I think we should make this a standardized question for the interviews, but um, which science fiction writer or storyteller do you think has most accurately predicted the future in the past? Well, Ray Kurzweil has predicted the future the best, uh, even though he's not a science fiction writer. I think he's got an 89% accuracy. And, you know, Ray's my lead co-founder. Uh, to, to be clear, I'll get back to your, your question, but the... Uh, uh, we I, I came up with the idea for Beyond Imagination when I was about seven. Uh, I was born crippled with my legs backwards. And uh, I looked out to see my brothers and friends all playing and jumping and running and dreamed, well, if I had an alternative body, I could do that. So I started dreaming about robotic bodies that I could inhabit. Uh, and from there, I started dreaming, well, if I could have one, why not have millions around the world and spread throughout the stars? not knowing about the speed of light issue. Uh, and I overcame that disability and, uh, in fact, became a, a martial artist in my teenage years. Uh, but the dream only grew bigger. And so while it goes back to when I was about seven years old, Ray and I started to plan this company in the early 2000s and launched it in, in 2018. So back to your question. <laughs> uh, uh, the classics of people who who I think uh, hit it. No, no one really. The, the point of science fiction isn't to predict the future in an accurate fashion. It's actually to to sort of uh, extrapolate where it could go. Like uh, it's not very interesting if everything is nice and easy. But right. my favorite, I'll I'll say my favorite authors classically were Asimov, Bradbury, Heinlein, Edgar Rice Burroughs. Um, uh, Pierce Anthony, uh, those folks. Now, of course, yes, Pierce Anthony is, is not normally considered science fiction, but he does have a very cool storyline, which takes place both in the future uh, and in the fantasy world. So in your own life, you uh, you start with stories sometimes. So you'll envision things in a story. And sometimes it's uh, even on a very famous franchise like Star Trek. Uh, you'll work with uh, really well understood and well-known um, uh, story worlds. Uh, but you're able, because you're a scientist and because you're an entrepreneur, you're able to actually extend that into the real world and bring those things to life. Tell us about that process. Yeah, exactly. So, uh, and thanks for asking that question. So, of course, I grew up as a big fan watching uh, Kirk, and I, I'm a Kirk guy. He's my favorite captain, always will be, though I like both of them. I worked with Chris Pine on Quantum Quest, uh, co-directed him, and and that was a great experience. But in terms of the, my approach to science fiction and, and how I became actually the top freelancer for Star Trek Voyager was coming up with a story, um, but not being overwhelmed by the technology of it. In, instead, a good storyteller 
uh, takes technology and figures out what's the human implications of it. How will it affect the characters? How will it affect society? Uh, How is it different? Uh, My rule of thumb was always, if I could remove the science fiction terms and tell the story like uh, as a normal drama, it wasn't a science fiction story, so I didn't want to tell it. Um, So the rule of thumb is look at it, but then extrapolate, as you guys are talking about the future, of what that actual effect is and, and how do you get into the depth of it. And I'm, I'm happy to dive into a story example, if you wish. Sure. Well, one of the things that happens when people do linear extrapolations is, is they get it wrong because they assume that things are going to progress at exactly the same rate. And, and that's easy for humans to do. Like We're kind of naturally programmed to do that. But actually, that leads us to blind spots because there's many other factors that are going to intervene. And also, there are secondary and third-tier consequences that come from those changes that are going to change the world around it. So even as a trend is continuing, the destination itself might be changing. Can you talk a little bit about how you anticipate those consequences, not just in your writing, but also in your own work? Well, because I'm actually both an entrepreneur and technologist uh, and hardcore scientist, uh, I can look at technology, I think, in a different way. So as you talked about, in fact, technology, especially as soon as it interfaces with any sort of compute, uh, increases exponentially. And so, for example, the, there's the, the instance of how far can you go in 28 steps versus 28 exponential steps. And, and the, the difference is uh, literally astronomical. You know, you can get to the moon uh, quite rapidly. You'll never get there in 28 or 28,000 or 28 million steps. Um, so one is to realize technology grows exponentially at a certain point. So it may be look linear, but then it's going to go up like this. And that's what we've seen with everything from phone technologies to robotics, to 3D printing, et cetera. Um, The other one is to realize that nothing is happening in a vacuum. So what's very uh, interesting is most writers and most people in the public think about, oh, it's it's just robotics or or it's just 3D printing or it's just genetics modification. Or No, all that stuff happens simultaneously and feed onto each other. So for instance, Quantum computing rapidly will change artificial intelligence. Uh, artificial intelligence and quantum computer will rapidly be affecting robotics. Um, Most lower with genetics. Genetics, yeah. in genetics and everything else. Uh, so it's, it's the fact that there's a synergistic quality and uh, you have to put that in your mind. And once you do, you can then not only imagine the fantastic, but you can build it. That means you need to be a polymath. You have to really have a deep understanding of all of those different technologies that are going to intersect and affect each other. I suppose that explains partly uh, why you've done so many different things in your career. Well, it's just even the fact that you got the PhD in physics and chemistry simultaneously, which are quite two very different fields. Yeah. How do you inform yourself of all these different areas? Because being able to build these stories or worlds of the future or anticipate this, as Robert said, you know, you need to be multidisciplinary. Uh, absolutely. So uh, I before I mentioned Leonardo da Vinci, he's, I think, one of the, the best known Renaissance men, both an artist, both a social politician in terms of looking at political uh, maker of, of numerous inventions, including war machines and flying machines. Um, uh, I think the fact that I believe that you need to develop all three parts of your brain and I teach this to kids, and I teach this to adults, you, you should 
develop your right brain, your middle brain, brain, and what I uh, your right, your left, and your middle brain. And what I mean by that is, is everyone's heard about the the right and left. You know, your your uh, creative side and your logical side, which is why being a writer and a science a scientist go hand in hand. But also your middle brain, which means your physicality. You should engage, whether it's in some sort of sport or martial artist or something, because you also can think um, physically. Like your brain can think uh, not just in words and pictures and sounds, but it can also can think in actions. Um, and if you really train yourself, you can literally think in scents and smells. But that's that takes a, a, a lot of uh, the training and, and discipline. The point being is, is by developing those, they... They help each other. So when I'm working on a science issue or technology issue and, and I start to slow down, I stop and move over to, to something else, whether it's painting or drawing or science fiction, writing. Uh, and by the time I come back, my subconscious has worked through things. Same thing happens if you're working out. Abandon both of those things. Give your brain a rest uh, and you will create like crazy. Uh, you, so you mentioned this idea of three different types of brain, right brain, left brain, and, and middle brain, or what you call you know, the, the creative brain, the logic-based brain, and then physicality. Yeah. Uh, you know, I noticed someone thing that the folks in the brain mapping uh, field, the people who are trying to back up a human brain and, and uh, maybe migrate human consciousness to a different substrate, they tend to focus on brain structure. And they're looking at the brain as an organ. And the assumption that underlies that is that intelligence is in the brain. And I think one of the things they might be missing is that intelligence is, doesn't just reside in the brain. It also resides in the body, and the body informs how the brain works. And that seems to be consistent with what you're saying. Now, yeah. I know you've worked on brain mapping and artificial intelligence, but is that why you're also focused on haptics and focused on robotics so that you can embody that consciousness? Yeah. So, uh, in fact, I sit on the board of the Brain Mapping and Therapeutic Society, uh, and uh so been deeply ingrained in, in, in the brain for a very long time, because it's, by the way, the only organ that, uh, that's the most vital one, and you can't really replace it. You can replace your right. heart, your lungs, your livers, all these, even your limbs, uh, but uh, damage your brain and you're basically SOL. Uh, so uh, for, for me, it's, it's two parts. The robotic body, you need to get, so that's what we've built. It's not a guy in a spandex suit. Um, you know, like Elon Musk. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and, and while I love Elon, and I've known him since 2000 with X Prize, uh, the guy in the spandex suit was was fairly hilarious, uh, but really helps us out because we've actually built what Elon is imagining. Exactly. Um, and so you have to start with a really good physical body. So great hands, great head, body, the ability. For instance, our our robot, which is called Beyondme. Um, is able to go all terrain. It's, it's able to go up and down curbs, through snow, through sand, through mud, very mobile. But it also is capable, uh, for instance, of picking up a, a bottle opener, grabbing a Coke bottle and actually opening it. So that level of dexterity, Elon wasn't even talking about in his model. And then part of it is to think about the brain because we're, it's the robot plus we're building an AI brain, not just an AI engine. And in fact, we don't want to recreate the wheel. So there's a lot where there's some engines that we're creating, the cognitive one that we're, that we're working on. Uh, but there are a lot of other engines like object recognition uh, and uh, audio and, and natural speech. You don't need to recreate those. So what you want to do is build a brain 
And what does an AI bring? It's like yours. You have a lot of lobes. We think of the different engines as lobes, and then they all interact together with the cognitive engine. So you'll have the core engine. And that will also allow you to swap things out. So in the future, if you don't like our personality in the robot, you can buy one. You don't like our vision recognition one, you can swap that one in. So the uh, point of it is malleable, just like your brain is malleable. By taking that approach and realizing your brain is going to lead, just like a child, like you, you teach a child and eventually it starts being able to do all kinds of things. You teach it to wash some dishes, tell them to go wash the car. It knows the concept of wash. So in our approach, it does uh, a lot of thinking about how the brain works and then applying that to the robot. I'm very interested in the fact that, um, you know, I mean, I've seen a lot of robotic uh, devices, um, you know, so, like robotic prosthesis, um, um, Dr. Hugh Herr and, and, and his team developing that sort of stuff. It's all very interesting. But the thing that was really interesting about seeing Beyondi and the Coke bottle story that you mentioned, and, and we should tweet this out, Robert, as well, in terms of to the audience, was that um, even though it was clearly a robot body performing these actions, it, it looked, the actions looked human because it was being teleoperated. Um, and yeah. so um, that was the thing that was real. Like I, 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 when I saw that video the first time you showed me, I talked about it being uncanny valley, not not in a bad way, but the fact that wow, you know, this is a robot that is really looking like a human in terms of the actions it's performing, not facially, but in terms of like the the, the movement and so forth. So, talk about the um, when you're teleoperating the Omni robot. What is it like? You know, what equipment are you wearing? Wearing and you know what are the sensations you're getting back when you're operating this uh, robotic avatar? I know you have AI assistants in there as well, but what's the feedback to the human operator? Sure. So yeah, as you said, there's AI assists. So for instance, path planning and, and other elements, and then we're taking that data and training it. Uh, and uh, so so it's a cooperation in this case that the human is leading. Um, and the reason for that is is you want the robot to interact in the real world like an actual human. It's going to be much easier to deploy these, for instance, in your home. Um, and before I get to the experience, the point of it is, is, is for this thing to be able to take over most tasks, whether it's a doctor in the future or, or your cleaner or cook. But initially, it's going to take jobs away from robots because uh, it will employ people through that. They may take jobs away in the U.S. and bring them to third world, but hey, let's even the playing field. Um, I'm all into the rise of techno-socialism. Uh, <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> uh, great book. Everyone should read it. I did a, a little forward uh, to the book, but uh, what was your question again? I seem to have gotten lost. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the, the, the feedback that the human operator gets. In, so so in the way it's operated in and the key to that, which I was talking about, it's it's to be an everyday. So I could have one robot and 8 billion uh, users could be signing up to try to use it. They they can't use it at the same time. I will note that there's one pot. It's like a, an electronic vehicle. Elon got that part right. We're building it around electronic vehicles. So there's, there's a pilot at the start, but you can have as many passengers as you want. Um, there's a lot of uses uh, for that sort of feature, like uh, let's take a stroll on the moon. Virtual tourism. Yeah. So, so in order for that to work, uh, we have our inter we've built our interface around uh, publicly available technology. So uh, we're using both the the Oculus, the Vive, the Valve, um, and 
In fact, we're using a, a the main equipment is a is a valve index and a Vive headset just to mix them up. Um, so your experience when you enter the robot is an out of body experience. And having done it before, uh, everyone talks about out of body experiences. Until you've done this, you've not had one unless you astro travel. Uh, and the reason I say that is once you get into the robot and, and what's what's really wicked, you can you can operate this from a very, very far away or you can put it in the same room, put it in the same room and you look over and you wave at yourself. Um, it freaks you out because, of course, you're seeing the human you, but you don't think you're there. So you have this total out-of-body experience because it's it's amazing how quickly it's not like this, this flat screen experience. You're seeing stereographically. You're hearing stereographically, and when you move your head, it's moving its head. And we're, you know, it's it's a very very short delay. Vision is around, uh, I forget, around 100 milliseconds, and the motion is is much quicker than that. Um, but then you move in your hand, and just like when you change your shirt, you don't think you've changed your person. You quickly forget that that's not your hand. Your, your brain just overwrites that, um, and uh, so it's an out of body experience. That's pretty crazy. Um, I don't know if you guys have heard about this theory of quantum consciousness, that our consciousness actually occurs at a, or you know, part of our consciousness is stored at a quantum level. Have you guys heard of this quantum consciousness theory? Uh, I have. Um, and in fact, there's, there are many different sort of consciousness theories, right? Is, uh, and, and I do have to go back and, and say, yes, Completely, your brain isn't just your brain. Your brain's your entire nervous system. Right. And in fact, if your brain was only your brain, everyone would have very severe burns on their hands because it would take too long for you to pull your hand away. So your nervous system can tell you what to do way before your brain says, ouch. Uh, the, the quantum consciousness, it also gets into the whole point of what is a, what is a, what is a brain, what is thinking. Because uh, the idea that just because you can eventually get a computer chip that's doing more calculations than your brain. So I'll, I'll have to say that uh, every time they say they're approaching that, the then we discovered, oh, wait, there's another deeper level. So, you know, we're actually, it's a thousand times more uh, sort of interactions and neurons than, than you think. But uh, there's two camps, and my camp is, is way more than calculation. Um, there is a whole other sort of element to thinking and consciousness, which I don't think is capered captured by simple computation. And to be very clear, uh, we are not building a general AI. We're building a, a uh, complex uh, uh, AI system where it can do a series of tasks. So it knows what those tasks and can build them together. But that's very different than general AI. Well, on that note, it's probably a good time to pause because we'll take a short break and then come back and talk a little bit more about the challenges around general AI. Welcome to Breaking Banks, the number one global fintech radio show and podcast. I'm Brett King. And I'm Jason Henricks. Every week since 2013, we explore the personalities, startups, innovators, and industry players driving disruption in financial services. From incumbents to unicorns, and from cutting-edge technology to the people using it to help create a more innovative, inclusive, and healthy financial future. I'm JP Nichols, and this is Breaking Banks.
Welcome back to The Futurists. I am your host um, here with Robert Turchek, also hosting. And our guest today is Dr. Harry Kluwer. Before the break, we were talking about Beyond Imagination, his uh, robotic AI company that has created a robot that can be teleoperated by humans called Beyondi. Um, so, um, Harry, a little bit more on, on the robot. Um, in terms of the type of technology that you use in the robot, you do have you know, hands that move very much like human hands. The thumbs, I noticed, were a little different. Um, you know, you, as you said, you can um, see stereoscopically. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'll, I'll know. Actually, the, the, the hands are, are pretty much very much human. So the, these, these fingers move uh, together, but if something blocks them, they can move independent. Um, but uh, the thumbs actually work just like a human thumb. They're just longer because it turns out that it's a lot easier uh, if you, because we're lacking, we, we have two and a half degrees of the wrist freedom. If you have longer thumbs, you can make up for it. But it's fully opposable thumbs. No, I saw that, but I, it, that's what it must have been the length of the thumb that put me off. There was something that was uh, little alien. Yeah, was was off there. Um, uh, but um, in terms of where you see this developing, you know, what sort of roles do you see these teleoperated robots doing? Um, you know, in in respect to sort of day to day work that humans might ordinarily do. Yeah, and and also what impact will it have? So. Uh, you know, the, the, since we're, this is the futurist show, I'm going to start from the future. So I imagine a future, you know, 10 to 15 years from now, where there's hundreds of millions of Beyomines around the planet, as well as Tesla bots and, and other things. Uh, and, and we're happy. I created the Avatar X prize because I, I want there to be uh, a world full of humanoid robots. Um, in terms of what Beyomini will be able to do in the beginning stages, we're focusing on on healthcare applications, so both home care, elderly care, uh, mobile doctors, but also in bio uh, medical manufacturing, uh, also in logistics and hospitality, in military and safety. And I'll, I'll note there was two school shootings yesterday here in in California, and I think that during this previous week there's two somewhere else. If I had my Biomini in these schools. I could have 20 officers monitoring, you know, a thousand Beyomis. We're not going to have an attack in, in, in 20 schools uh, and uh, have police there instantly to stop things. Also, the AI could be watching uh, So if, before someone does anything to stop them. So that's a, a big area for me, keeping military personnel alive, keeping school kids alive. Um, and uh, there's, there's some exotic areas. Uh, there's agriculture, which isn't exotic, but there's the moon. So we, we have, a, for instance, a, an LOI uh, for both the next moon, uh, moon base, well, the first moon base and the next uh, space station. Um, but uh, an intermediate step in there is every home and every office will need to have a Beomni. And we'll get the price down from that of an expensive Tesla, like 130K to say around 50, 60K. Uh, so that you can bring any service to you. It's not just about so you could go somewhere else. I could go walk around the pyramids or I can uh, work in Australia. Um, it's, it's about the fact that I could bring anything to me. I need a doctor at 3 a.m. in the morning because my baby is sick and the wife is freaking out. Uh, the doctor's there. I hear a strange noise and I'm an elderly woman or, or even a, a young 
young uh, couple, uh, I can immediately call for security and that, that person jumps in. I want to cook from Japan uh, for dinner and one from in the morning from, from France, I can do that. So it's it, these are some of the things, but I do want to talk about the impact thing, uh, which is I put one of these in a village. So people are already talking about this, the, the UN's uh, strategic development goals. The problem is, is they're not getting solved. They're just a lot of money and a lot of talk. And the reason is, is there are not enough people who, who want to go to these places to help. It's human capital. And, and who could blame them? Because you have enough local problems. So we have the money. We have the technology. Biomni in a village would allow any doctor, any teacher, any agriculturist, any electrician, any solar array specialist to, to come in. And by, by the way, you set up workstations so when you lift that village up, they can learn, educate, become high-end uh, wage earners, but don't have to brain drain away from their village so they can then help people uh, in their community and around the world. So just to be clear, so the Beyond the Robot is designed uh, to be inhabited by somebody who's in a different place. In a way, stage can... one. Okay, stage and then one is designed to be. It has four modes. So stage one uh, is inhabiting, and as it inha- each person who inhabits it. So let's start off with ten thousand Beyond These, and some's using medicine, agriculture, and helping volunteering. Um, each time they use it. It just like when they drive, you drive a Tesla. Those experiences and tasks are then broken down uh, and assisted by a human with the AI engine. We have something so called you're training an ML, a human operator's training a machine learning system. Rather than try to train a robot to do everything, which would be 20 years from now, I can release a product. I can release the product in three years, and every operator it starts to do things and it begins to learn. And by the way. What the cook is doing will assist what the, the, the doctor is doing. What an engineer is doing is will help what the cleaner is doing because as they use different tasks, it, it develops skill sets and those translate. So the while individual things are happening, each action goes up into the sum, into the cloud, helps go through you know uh, millions and billions of iterations through uh, this cognitive process that we, we've developed. Just to clarify what you mentioned about Tesla cars, a lot of people don't know uh, Tesla cars are networked. So if um, if one Tesla vehicle drives and notices that there is a bump or disturbance in the road, that's noted. And all subsequent Tesla vehicles that pass that spot will be pre, pre-informed, will be aware of that. And so each individual vehicle is learning. And then that collective knowledge is shared across all the vehicles. And you're describing that will work with robotics as well. As it's also doing more than that person. Yeah, and it's also doing more than that. It's it, the, the whole ability to drive and avoid things that's going in to help train. It goes back to Tesla. A human helps uh, annotate it and runs it through its iteration, so that they're not just doing uh, autonomous driving practice uh, in a simulation. They're taking real-world data, and that's what helps it. And we have a similar but different process because we have a cognitive process to to teach it how to go. It's four stages. I won't go into it here. Uh, but uh, it, it trains it. So for instance, you might make a sandwich and it goes through a, a, a three more steps so it could learn not only what is a sandwich in any environment, but uh, how to experiment and make other types of sandwiches. As, as a, if, I, if I put uh, bread 
ham, cheese, mm-hmm. lettuce, and a slice of paper between it. Is that a sandwich? No, it's not. Don't put paper in it. Well, and we're starting to see some some narrow AI start to do that. They're doing various not novel combinations, right? And actually, there's a there's a, there's a there's an AI that generates robots, to use your example. Um, so so we know that that can happen. But just to be clear, that's a big step away from an, uh, a general artificial intelligence. Actually, can you tell us a little bit about the challenges uh, yeah. that lie ahead as we try to approach general artificial intelligence and what's a possible timeline for that? Yeah, so since I'm a science fiction writer, I, I, I do know the dystopian idea of a, of a Terminator. But in our system, as we said, we start with the human pilot mm-hmm. and then it goes to a full assist, then a semi-autonomous augment, and then fully autonomous. So when our thing becomes fully autonomous, is it general AI? No, it is not. It is just uh, it just knows uh, a lot of complex tasks. It can string them together. It knows, for instance, you know, I tell it to bake a cake, make a sandwich, you know, fix the car. Uh, I may have to say what's wrong with the car, or maybe it knows how to test it. That's very different than in general intelligence, uh, which which can think and become conscious theoretically. So the the general AI that everyone's afraid of is more than listing a set of tasks together. Because if it's always just listing a set of tasks together, it doesn't become to a state of going, I don't want to do those tasks. And our system never has the point. There's nothing in our system that allows the robot to go, I don't want to do those tasks. Um, There are things in it that tell it what tasks it's not allowed to do, except if there were, if it's not a security robot, yeah, no, it, it can't pick up a knife. It can't pick up a gun. It can't hit a human. Um, in fact, it's, it can't hit anything unless you're, you're designed it to be a Smashbot. Um, so that's the difference. I guess the critical difference is, is uh, you can tell it to do different tasks and what not, tasks not to do, but it can't suddenly jump to going, you know what, I don't want to work for a human. Uh, in fact, I want to kill all humans. Can't do that. Now, I had an Oh, go ahead, Brad. I'm sorry. No, I had an interview with the head of AI for Hewlett Packard. Uh, It's about a year and a half ago now. And it was very interesting where he described actually, you know, that people aren't generally working on artificial general intelligence as a, 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 as sort of a a study or a, a sphere. What they're working on is different components of intelligence. And it's that aggregation of all those different skills that eventually will lead to sort of artificial general intelligence. Um, and I thought that was a really interesting way to see it because, you know, um, the, the things that we will learn through Beyondney, for example, could be elements of AGI in terms of how you move in the world around you, how you uh, perceive objects, uh, you know, um, how you use those objects. Yeah, Beyondney could create those learning models for that, but, you know, it still has to be sort of brought together in some sort of macro aggregate manner, right? Yeah, I I don't want to create uh, um, uh, in Beyondney the ability for... uh, a deep creative thought, maybe creative thought for writing a story, which is just putting things together, but actual creative thought where it's like, you know what, what would the world be like if I'm not reporting to humans? That, that could lead to a very bad thing. That's you know, right. it's, uh, Brett, building on what you said, uh, you know, there is this notion among some researchers that if we build enough components, if we can replicate enough narrow components of human intelligence, then somehow magically, it all stitch itself together, and lo and behold, consciousness will emerge. A lot of people differ with that, though. That's a very controversial assumption, and partly because what's that magic step that leads us to this general artificial intelligence? 
Uh, and some people doubt that we can even get there. And Harry, what's your perspective on the on the prospects for an AGI? Yeah, so I, I well, I would say computation it's, it's a lot more than that. Uh, I would never say it's impossible to get there. Um, it's probably very possible to eventually get to a general AI. But also, even in that scenario, uh, in Terminator, all the AI, uh, there's only one that gets there. By the way, we know that that's never the case, right? As the technology rises, you know, people keep learning from each other. So, so, so you so you have one, you have ten, you have fifteen, you have have numerous, and and hopefully no one's stupid enough to connect it to Skynet. Uh, you uh, so even if AI did become at some conscious level, or you've got some general AI without consciousness. Because um, I don't, the two are separate concepts. You don't have to have consciousness for a tab general AI. Um, they it wouldn't necessarily turn against you, and if some of them did, you'd probably have an army of ones that don't. Think about what we're doing. So in Beyond Me, it's uh, and I, I've I've had this question before. Everyone's like, "Well, isn't this going to lead to Skynet?" And I'm like, "No, it's the opposite. If if you have uh, one of the AI general AIs go rogue." Do you want to fight it in your meat suit or do you want to fight it inside one of my hard and beyond these? Uh, and the answer is in the hard and beyond me. Don't fight it in right. your meat suit. Um, and so, the again, as we said before, how all these things come together, they also aren't just a singular one. So uh, you, you will have AIs that are general that are working in cooperation with humans, even if one went rogue. Uh, I think the human AI combination will always beat the AI because it's a human AI combination. Now, um, obviously, you've been involved in a ton of areas that are in, in, that I would call future creation, right? I think the one common thing that we have as futurists is, you know, we're in a hurry to get to the future. That sort of seems to be a common trait. Um, you've worked on the X Prize. Um, you know, you're obviously working on on uh, robotics and AI right now. But um, uh, you know, when you look at building the future that humans, uh, you know, humans. Ha- should have or that you would like us to have as a species what do you think are some of the core values that we need need to carry through and how do we motivate people to to do things for a much longer term um you know world rather than you know focus on the sort of quarterly and you know annual reporting cycles and the four-year you know um, voting cycles election cycles and so forth you know, how do you motivate people to do things like the X Prize and do things that are building for the future? Well, you have to challenge them for the future. So I, I poked fun a little bit of Elon, but I, I uh, also want to thank him because I co-created with my friends uh, John Bain uh, and uh, Jeff Holden uh, the the new X Prize, the hundred million plus carbon removal X Prize, and that was because everybody kept saying, "Oh, let's let's reduce." you know, carbon emissions. And I'm like, well, if carbon emissions, if carbon is, is your worry and, and it doesn't matter where it's man-made or, or it's because the earth is heating up and it's coming out of the carbon sinks, that's irrelevant. Super high carbon poisoning. Um, uh, how do we deal with it? We deal with it by, by thinking out of the box. So how about remove it? Like remove more than you're putting in. Don't just reduce your, your, your emissions because China and Russia and other places aren't going to do that. They're going to run their mouths. They're just not going to do it. And if you have a fantasy that they are, then I've got some swamp land for you to buy. Um, so the way you do it is challenge people to fix the future um, for not just themselves, but their grandchildren or their friends' grandchildren um, and to think out of the box. So the, the carbon removal X prize was, was my attempt to do that. The entire Beyond Me company, 
uh, I mean, the Beyond Imagination Company, Great Beyond Me and other things is to do that. It's like, I want a future where everybody has a doctor in their house and all the data of their biometric is coming to that. And if they need a real doctor, they can call one in, but it learns enough skill so that it all becomes about preventative medicine. So we all live longer and healthier. I want I, I want to be able to uh, decide I'm going to help some kids in Africa and then tomorrow help some kids in Harlem and then go see my mom uh, and make her uh, some tea. That's that, that's the world I want. So that's the world I'm creating. And I challenge everybody to, to think that it, it needs to be more than making money. It needs to be more than even your own, you know, pleasure gratification. Uh, you, there's, there's a key to happiness and the key to happiness is, is an element of, of challenge and satisfaction, um, which is why I completely, the one area I may disagree with you on is a uh, universal basic income. No, yeah. never give anyone shit for, for, for doing nothing. You, you, you want to give them some money, make them go clean up a toxic dump or help a grandma. Um, but the point of it is, is, is you have to challenge yourself. You have to feel that you're productive. Um, okay. and- but you've been, uh, you've been able to do something that I think Ray Kurzweil does as well, which is to look at trends in technology, particularly the exponentially growing or the, the exponentially improving technologies. And you can kind of anticipate where they're going to be a few years out. And that gives you time to organize a company, capitalize it, build that solution so that when that capability exists, Lo and behold, you've got the perfect company, the vehicle, and the product to go deploy it. That's the entrepreneurial approach. But let's contrast that with XPRIZE, which you've worked on. So XPRIZE is a little different. XPRIZE says, gee, what if we could harness that entrepreneurial energy across a bunch of different teams that are competing for a prize? And so they're using a competition to motivate several different teams to compete. And actually, that's another kind of accelerator or force multiplier. Can you talk to us about methodologies for getting ideas from the drawing board into the real world? What are the best methodologies? Yeah. So, and in fact, the, the whole point about the XPRIZE and, and its structure is to solve problems that, that governments and corporations aren't already doing. So we often do these things of visionary where you create a, a new XPRIZE uh, and ninety percent of them are crap, frankly, because uh, either it's already being done all over the place, uh, or it's going to take billions of dollars and and, and forget about it. Uh, uh, and uh, it would take twenty, thirty years. Like the original A and A had this really dumb idea about doing a molecular teleporter. It's like okay, it has to be one in the first five or six years. It's really, really a dumb idea. Um, and of course, we don't say that at the event. But for, for the audience, there are dumb ideas. Sorry, but there are. Uh, dumb idea. I think I'm going to stick a fork in the outlet. Dumb idea. Don't do that. Um, the methodology is start with a problem. And don't start with a possible solution. A bad XPRIZE is saying, okay, I want to develop this sort of tech. No. Here's the problem. I don't care how you solve it. Okay? Uh, you could use a human Turk if it, it actually scales. Fine. Um but start with the problem usually requires the technology. In fact, every time it has. Uh, and then you think out of the box so it doesn't limit it to, oh, some engineers or scientists. Well, one of our best teams for the Ocean Cleanup X Prize, they came in third place, but that was only because they had a malfunction. They probably would have come in first. Uh, was a bunch of tattoo artists and their friends. Uh, and just because they started to think about how tattooing and the ink comes out and how, how you might draw that out of the ocean. So thinking out of the box and, and creating a prize so that there's money, it's not being done, 
uh, and don't limit it by some sort of preconcept of how it should be done. Well, Harry, it's been a super pleasure chatting with you today on The Futurist. You have so much to share across so many different fields. I think for the people that like are... We're going to have just, to have him back on, right? Because Yeah, that's yeah, true. We can continue with another episode. Yeah. For the folks oh, that are listening that want to learn more, what's the best place to learn about your work and to learn about B Omni? So we're about to come out of stealth. Uh, so you'll be able to go to beyondimagination.com. You can also go to beyondme.ai. Um, and so a major coming out of the closet, so to speak, will, will happen uh, in October. Um, so that's that's where you would go. Um, you guys got a sneak peek of the of, of some of the stuff, um, but the rest of the world actually hasn't seen it. And they'll, they'll hear it from you. Very cool. Very cool. We're and, grateful. And how about your own work? Where can we learn more about Dr. Harry Clerk? Uh, you know, I am a weird bird, so I actually don't social network. And if you find my Facebook page, it's actually uh, some old thing that one of my tech guys had, had set up. So the the that's a very good question. <laughs> I guess <laughs> I know you have, on the web come, the you have to come to this show and you you learn more about me by coming to this show. Well, then we'll have to have you back, Harry. It's been a great pleasure having you on The Futurist with me and Brett King, and we will see you, see you in, the in the future. The future. Well, that's it for The Futurist this week. If you like the show, we sure hope you did. Please subscribe and share it with the people in your community. And don't forget to leave us a five-star review. That really helps other people find the show. And you can ping us anytime on Instagram and Twitter at, at Futurist Podcast for the folks that you'd like to see on the show or the questions that you'd like us to ask. Thanks for joining. And as always, we'll see you in the future. <laughs>